0: Matthew 21. We're going to be reading the first 11 verses this morning. Now, as we begin, my hope and my prayer is really that this message would prepare our hearts well for Holy Week. As Laura mentioned, we have an incredible week coming up, spiritually speaking, as well, where we get to remember Jesus washing his disciples' feet on Thursday. We get to celebrate Good Friday, and ultimately, it leads us to a great celebration on Sunday. And so, this week is really, uh, or today, is the beginning of a powerful week spiritually, probably the greatest week spiritually in our entire church calendar. Now, before we read the text today, I think it's important to understand what happened to bring us to this point in our reading today. And if you're familiar with your Bibles, you'll know that Jesus, he has been doing ministry for about three years, and throughout those three years, he has chosen twelve disciples to follow him. And that crowd of people, they followed Jesus, and they went from town to town, and village to village, city to city, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. Jesus healed people. He healed the sick. He even raised the dead. In the matter of these three years, Jesus went from being relatively unknown to being the buzz of the entire Jewish community. The religious leaders began to question, Who is this Jesus guy? The political leaders of the day began to ask the question, Who actually is this Jesus guy? And today, we are going to answer that question as him and his disciples get to the city of Jerusalem, the very last city on his three-year journey of ministry. Jesus is going to Jerusalem to die. And so with that, let us read Matthew 21, 1 through 11. Text says, As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and you will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In this first half of the message, I just want to slowly work through this passage. And we're going to start in verse 1. The text says, As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives. So a little geography lesson for everyone today. Jesus and his disciples just prior to this, they were 14 miles away from Jerusalem in Jericho. In the previous story, Jesus leaves Jericho heals two blind men on the road and they travel the rest of the day to the Mount of Olives as we are in our text today. And so if you check out this picture on the screen behind me, you'll see a modern day picture of the city of Jerusalem. This picture was actually taken from the Mount of Olives. You can see the only thing that separates from where Jesus and his disciples were on the Mount of Olives here on this Palm Sunday was the Kidron Valley in one mile. There's only one mile from the spot that this picture was taken to where the temple would be. And so today in this modern picture, you see the Dome of the Rock there. In Jesus' day, instead of the Dome of the Rock, you would have seen the beautiful temple of God. And again, they're one mile away from Jesus entering into the holy city. And that brings us to verse 2. They get to this place on the Mount of Olives, somewhere near where this picture was taken. Verse 2 says, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. So, sure enough, we see these two disciples go uh, to some little town on the Mount of Olives, and sure enough, they find two donkeys, just like Jesus had said. There was a mother donkey and its colt, or foal. Now, what's important to know is it's kind of fun to compare the different gospel accounts of this story. And the gospel of Mark makes it abundantly clear. The donkey that Jesus is going to ride into the city is not the mother donkey. It is a baby donkey, a, a foal that has never been ridden before. And again, later today, go read Mark and it will make it abundantly clear. And at this point in the story, you might be asking, Greg, Jesus has traveled hundreds and hundreds of miles over the past three years. And to my knowledge, I didn't look this up, but I don't think Jesus ever rode a donkey anywhere. Uh, If I'm wrong, let me know. But everywhere that Jesus goes in the biblical text, it seems that he walks there with his 12 disciples. And so the question we can ask this morning is, why is Jesus... At this point, when he's only one mile away from the city of Jerusalem, why in the world would he need a donkey now? Is he getting tired? Is there some other reason? Verse 4 and 5 tells us why Jesus wanted that donkey that day. If you look at verse 4, Matthew writes, This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. As you can tell in your Bibles, verse 5 is actually a quote from the Old Testament. It's a quotation from the book of Zechariah. It's taken out of Zechariah 9, verses 9 and 10. And what this prophet is doing, again, this prophet was... Uh, living and prophesying about 500 years before Jesus. And he's painting this messianic picture of what this messianic king will do and be like. And so I think it's worth our time to actually go to Zechariah. You don't have to turn there in your Bibles, but check out the screen. Zechariah 9, 9 and 10, it says this. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. Zechariah is is prophesying this moment where the entire city of Jerusalem will be buzzing with excitement and shouting and and praising this king. Why? Because as the second part of verse 9 says, see your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly, riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of the donkey, verse 10, he says, I will take the chariots away from Ephraim, the war horses from Jerusalem, the battle bow will be broken, and this king will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea, and from the river to the very ends of the earth. So again, guys, the prophet Zechariah, 500 years before Jesus, is painting a prophetic picture of what the Messiah will do. If we look at this, look at the characteristics of this king in verse 9. He is righteous. This is not some wicked king. This is not your average king. He is a righteous king. Secondly, he is a victorious king. Thirdly, it says he is lowly. He's not a prideful king. He's a humble king. He's riding on a donkey. Fourthly, we see in verse 10, he is a bringer of peace. Notice that this messianic king is going to get rid of all the chariots. He's going to get rid of all of the war horses in Jerusalem. He's going to break every bow. Why? Because there's not going to be any more need for it. He is going to bring in peace to this kingdom. And lastly, fifthly, we see this king is going to usher in a kingdom of peace. Get this. From sea to to sea. Unlike any other kingdom in the history of the world, this kingdom will be established from sea to sea, from the river Euphrates, which is the geographical center of the entire world, to the very ends of the earth. So, it's clear that day Jesus didn't get on a donkey because he was tired. He didn't get on a donkey for any other reason. The reason why Jesus got on a donkey that day was to make a statement. Jesus was making a statement about who he is. Jesus, this day on Palm Sunday, is revealing his true identity to anybody who was following him. If you're a reader of the Gospels, you understand that this is the big deal. Because all throughout the Gospels, Jesus does incredible things. He performs miracles. He heals the sick. But often he says, don't go tell anybody who I am. Keep my identity a secret. Theologians call this the messianic secret. For some reason, Jesus didn't want the world to know exactly who he is. But this day, on Palm Sunday, he is saying, I am he. I am that guy. I am the righteous, humble, victorious king who's riding a donkey into the city of Jerusalem. Jesus is saying, I am the one who's going to usher in this kingdom of peace from sea to sea. And people of God, I think today, that is cause for celebration. That is cause for absolute joy and celebration. Because the King of Kings has come. Oftentimes, I think we forget about how big a deal it is that Jesus has come. Jesus, for us, has been around for 2,000 years. But for these Israelites, they have spent century after century after century after century looking for the Messiah. And guess what? He has finally come in Jesus. The serpent crusher of Genesis 3 is here. The Passover lamb discussed in Exodus is here. The Davidic king of 2 Samuel chapter 7 is here. The lowly king of Zechariah 9, verses 9 and 10, he is finally here. On this Palm Sunday, Jesus is telling the world, I am the Messiah. And as we continue on in the text, I think it's very clear that the crowds really recognize this. What did the crowd do? Look at verse 8. The crowds put their cloaks on the ground along with palm branches so palm branches, we saw the kids waving them. That's a sign of victory. It's a sign of Jewish nationalism. Here, they were, the, the crowd, in light of Jesus, hopping on this donkey that has never been ridden, they busted out in joy. They busted out in worship. What they did was essentially make a red carpet for King Jesus to ride on. They wanted to worship him. They celebrated him as king. If we keep reading, what else did they shout? Hosanna to the son of David. So you hear the crowd is saying, Hosanna. Hosanna means save us, deliver us, deliver us from Roman oppression. Who did they shout that to? They said the son of David. They understood he was in the line of David. He knew, excuse me, the crowd knew that he was the, the, the Messiah in the line of David. We continue reading. It says, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The crowds worshiping God for Jesus who came in his name. And lastly, Hosanna in the highest heaven. Just giving Jesus this this time of worship. As they crown him king and as they treat him as king. So, in summary, Palm Sunday is a day about Jesus revealing his true identity to everyone who is following him. And although the crowds understood that Jesus was the Messiah, they greatly misunderstood the type of Messiah that Jesus would be. And so I realize that this story is probably one of the most familiar stories to you. I think we look at this story every single year. And I was just thinking this week, how incredible is it that we get an opportunity to read the story every single year? In the same way that we read the Christmas story and in the same way that the Christmas story is an annual reminder of our Savior's incarnation and in the same way that every Easter we read the Easter story and a reminder of our Savior's resurrection, we have worked this Palm Sunday reading into our church calendars because I think it gives us such great annual reminders about who Jesus is. And so here in the second half of the sermon, I want to really focus in on what are three annual reminders that Palm Sunday can give to us. First, if you're taking notes, Palm Sunday is an annual reminder for us that it is possible to misunderstand King Jesus. It's possible to misunderstand King Jesus. And today you might be asking... What was misunderstood? It's pretty obvious. Jesus revealed himself as king, if you were a Jew. And it's obvious that the crowd, the Jewish crowd accepted him as king. They gave him the red carpet treatment. But what they misunderstood was that Jesus wasn't the type of king that they were expecting. We had a little uh, geography lesson earlier. Now it's time for a little history lesson. The political situation during Jesus' day in Israel was dire. These Israelites, they were living in their homeland, but it didn't feel like home. Why didn't it feel like home? Well, it was because Roman, uh, the Roman people were oppressing them. They were taxing them. They were bossing them around. They were telling them what they could and what they couldn't do. This week I was saying it'd probably be like some government official coming into my home with Stacy and saying, Greg, you can't sleep in this bed. Go sleep outside with a dog. Be like some Roman government official saying, Greg, no more watching hunting videos on YouTube. Greg, no more uh, eating chips and cheese at 10 o'clock at night before you go to bed. Right? I'd be living at home, but it sure wouldn't feel like home. That was exactly what it was like for these Israelites. They were living in the promised land. Yet they had these government officials dictating their every move. They were looking for someone, a king, a messiah, to come liberate them from the Romans. They were sick of this oppression. Furthermore, Palm Sunday, the day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey... Passover was imminent. Hundreds of thousands of Jews were coming into Jerusalem on this day to celebrate the Jewish Passover. In order to know, what does Passover celebrate? What does it commemorate? The Exodus, right? It celebrates the day that God rescued his people from their political enemy, Egypt. You see, the Israelites were oppressed by Egypt, and they are now being oppressed by the Romans. And again, they were looking this day for a political king to come liberate them from the Romans. They were oppressed then, and they were oppressed now. They were in bondage then, and they are in bondage now. And so I love it. The timing is impeccable. Jesus comes with this backdrop, and he comes into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. And for every Jew who knew their Bibles, they were saying, oh my goodness. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is this righteous and victorious and humble king who is going to kick these Romans out of Israel. He's going to liberate us. He's going to free us from the oppression in the same way that God rescued us from Egypt. God's going to rescue us from Rome pretty understandable why the whole crowd that day got out palm branches and took off their cloaks and laid them on the ground, isn't it? It's pretty easy to understand why they shouted, Hosanna! Hosanna! Save us! Deliver us! It's because they were hoping that Jesus would deliver them from Roman oppression. If you read your Bibles you know that the Jewish nation eventually becomes disappointed. (laughs) Three chapters after this, in Matthew 24, Jesus kind of makes it clear that he didn't come to liberate Israel from Rome. In fact, in chapter 24 he said, Rome is going to continue to oppress you, destroy Jerusalem, and destroy the thing that you treasure most, the temple. And we see that happen in AD 70. Now, If we think about this, Israel knew that Jesus was king. They knew that Jesus was Messiah, but they misunderstood what type of Messiah he would be. So much of Israel was looking for Jesus to free them from Rome. But Jesus came to free them from sin. So much of Israel looked for Jesus to come deliver them from Rome when Jesus came to deliver them from death. So much of Israel looked for Jesus to give them liberation from their political enemies, but Jesus first and foremost came to free Israel from their spiritual enemies. It's so sad because if you think about this huge crowd that was worshiping Jesus on Palm Sunday, I wonder how many in that crowd were shouting not Hosanna on Friday, but instead they were shouting crucify him, crucify him. Why? Because of the messianic misunderstanding. They didn't know the true kingship of Jesus. Orchard Hill, it got me thinking this week, I wonder if you and I can misunderstand Jesus. And I think the obvious answer to that question is yes. As I look out and often deal uh, with many students, I often see misconceptions and misunderstandings about who Jesus is. So many people, both young and old alike, I think view Jesus as some sort of divine genie that we just pray and ask re- requests of Jesus. We say, Jesus, help me get an A on a test. Or, Jesus, help me get this job. Or, Jesus, would you protect me when I travel? Jesus is so much more than that. Other people, I think, really treat Jesus as a divine 911. We largely ignore Jesus in our lives until an emergency comes up. God, my health is failing, save me. God, my marriage is crumbling, save me, resuscitate me. We view Jesus simply as some. Define 911. Other people view Jesus as simply a friend. You know, Jesus is there to help me when I am down and out. Jesus is so much bigger than that. Other people view Jesus as a free admission pass. Again, we largely ignore Jesus in our lives, yet we believe Jesus in our minds, call it belief, so that we can go to heaven when we die. Jesus is so much more than that. Still, others, I think, view Jesus and understand Jesus as an advisor, like an advisor to the king. If you're saying, Greg, if Jesus is the advisor, who's the king? You are. Jesus is simply there in your life to give you good advice or to help you get, get rich or to help make your life comfortable or to make your life easier. And you're fine with Jesus giving you advice and listening to what Jesus has to say as long as you are still king, as long as you can still remain in control, as long as you can still call the shots. But Jesus is so much more than that. Jesus is not any of these things. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the fulfillment of every Old Testament prophecy written about him. He is not any of these things. First and foremost, he is the Messiah. And he is nothing less than Messiah. As we prepare our hearts for Holy Week, my hope is that today you would prune out those misunderstandings that you have about Jesus. That you'd get rid of these false understandings, cut them out, and embrace Jesus as the true Messiah that he is. Secondly, Palm Sunday is an annual reminder of the true character of King Jesus. In our Bible reading, verse 5 says, Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey. You see, King Jesus is gentle. King Jesus is gentle. Gentle. I hope that you are absolutely amazed today at the character of the king of kings. Be amazed at the character of the Lord of lords. He is the king of the universe, yet he is humble. He's the king of the cosmos, yet he is a king who loves the outcasts of society. Jesus is a king who loves that person at lunch who sits alone. Jesus is the king of the universe, yet he loves and treats that person in your workplaces who nobody likes and who nobody cares for. Jesus is the type of king who, he's the king of the universe, yet he loves the people with no homes and with no money. Jesus is the king of kings, yet he loves the outcasts. Jesus, he's the king of the cosmos, yet, as we're going to discover Thursday, He's not too prideful to get down on his knees and to wash his disciples' feet. He's the king of the universe, yet he does the work of a slave. King Jesus, he's the king of the cosmos, yet he is the suffering servant. He's the one who, on Good Friday, as we're going to celebrate, gave his life to serve us, citizens of the kingdom... And again, Orchard, he'll just be in awe of the character of Jesus, who possesses all of the power and yet gives up his life to serve us to unite us with God. Think about how kingdoms work in our world. Think about how business works in our world. Think of of corporate America. Think of our politics. Right? All of those in power have everyone underneath them serve them. But not with Jesus. He's the King of Kings. And yet he gives up his life to serve us. Jesus is the suffering servant. He is a king who is patient. He is a king of mercy. He is a king of grace. He is a king of love. That is the character of a king that I want to worship. Our world is constantly shoving down our throats that Uh, That the world is, is, and and greatness is kind of defined by wealth. And the world is constantly telling us greatness is defined by uh, power and control and success. But Jesus, he flips all of these values upside down and says true greatness is defined by giving up power. By giving away control. By giving away wealth. And by giving up your life in order to serve others and serve God. And so, people of God, let us, again, just be in awe of worship, of of Jesus. And I hope that we'd be able to truly worship Jesus this week. Let us be so in awe of his character that it enhances our prayer life. Let 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 us be so in awe of Jesus that it enhances the way that we experience Holy Thursday service. The way you do devotions. And let it influence the way you worship him on Resurrection Sunday. But secondly, as you and I, I mean, our lives are all about discipleship, right? Our lives are about becoming fully mature disciples of Jesus, to be fully conformed to the image of Jesus. And if Jesus is a king who is humble, who gives up power to serve others, who is humble in nature and loving and merciful and forgiving... You and I should begin to emulate those same characteristics into our lives. Are you trying to outserve your spouse? Are you trying to sit with that kid at the lunch table who has no friends? As we go back to work this week, what would it look like for you to love that person at your work who is unlovable? You see, This isn't just about our head. Let the character of Jesus change who you are. Let us be humble in nature. Thirdly, and finally, I think Palm Sunday is an annual reminder that King Jesus is a king of peace. King Jesus is a king of shalom. As I mentioned before, and as you've probably picked up, no political king is going to ride a donkey. (laughs) Right? They're about riding a horse. They're about riding a chariot. Chariots and horses, they were symbols of power and military might. Jesus, he chose a donkey. And I love this about Jesus because donkeys are awesome. <laughs> Not many of you probably know this, but when I was 20, I got a donkey for a birthday present. So... I hold a very special place in my heart for donkeys. Here's a picture of the donkey that I got for my 20th birthday. When I got her, uh, so adorable, right? <laughs> when I got her, she was about nine months old, and as soon as I got her, I really had dreams of riding this donkey peacefully everywhere. Uh, so. I grew up in Door, Michigan, so there's a little less traffic uh, than on Alpine here, but <clears throat> my best friend Kyle, he grew up like a half mile down the road, so I'm like, I'm going to train this donkey. I'm going to just ride him peacefully all the way to Kyle's house, be able to tie him up on, a, on their front porch. It'd be great. Save gas money. I had dreams of peacefully riding this donkey to the dairy ranch, which is indoor, to go get some ice cream. Instead of parking my car, I'd be able to park my donkey. Again, my dream was I'm going to peacefully ride this donkey everywhere. It's going to be a great experience, peacefully off into the sunset. Uh, Maybe even have a future date with the donkey. I don't know. But a fun fact, I actually named this donkey when I first got her Mercedes. Why? Because she was going to be such a smooth ride. (laughs) However, Orchard Hill, I have never been more wrong about anything in my life. This donkey was the devil. (laughs) It was terrible. When I first got her, um, I waited a few months because, as you can see from this picture, she was not very big. Uh, but the first time I tried to ride her, uh, I think I was probably a little too heavy for her, and she was a little too small. She did not like me on her back, and she just took off running, and I eventually fell off. I didn't have a saddle or anything. Um, I didn't know how to train donkeys, and I don't know if I scarred her and freaked her out that first time, but every time I tried to ride her since, she has been crazy, would not allow me to ride her at all. And so I think that that is really a realistic expectation of what it is like to ride a donkey that has never been ridden before. It's probably going to be wild. It hasn't been trained to ride like a normal horse would. That makes the story of Palm Sunday even that more incredible, doesn't it? Jesus, the text is clear, gets on the donkey that has never been ridden before and peacefully rides it down the middle of the street into the city of Jerusalem. These, these streets, like if you're a horse person, squirrely horses, they don't like people. But Jesus rode this donkey down the middle of the street. Hundreds of thousands of people. So many people that could spook it. But Jesus peacefully rides down on this donkey as king. And this reminds me that Jesus is a prince of peace. Jesus ushers in Shalom even to the most chaotic of situations. Think of Mark 4. When Jesus and his disciples, they were on a boat. Wind and the waves start picking up. All the disciples thought they were gonna die. Jesus says three words, peace be still. And the wind and the waves, they obeyed him. Jesus brings shalom, peace, to chaos. As we just saw in this story, Jesus brings peace a chaotic donkey who's never been ridden before. Zechariah 9 verse 10, he's going to be a king who ushers in peace, who ushers in shalom from sea to sea, from the river Euphrates, the center of the world to the very ends of the earth. Our king today is a king of peace and we need to be reminded of that today and so Orchard Hill let's embrace that good news. First and foremost, Jesus gives you peace with God. Because he died on the cross. He unites you with God. He gives you peace with a God who had wrath towards our sin. Jesus can give you peace. What does Jesus say? He can give your soul rest. He can give your soul peace. When you're feeling heavily burdened, who can take the burdens away? It's King Jesus, the Prince of Peace. When your health fails, when your finances give out, when your marriage is struggling, when your children are walking away from Jesus, guess what? We can run to King Jesus, the Prince of Peace. He can bring peace into the most chaos of situations. That is who our King is. And so today, as we close, I want you to think. Where do I need to experience shalom? Where do I need to experience peace in my life? Maybe it's relational. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it has to do with your job. Maybe it's your future. Be encouraged today because Jesus is the Prince of Peace who will usher in peace to your life. So in conclusion, again, This Bible reading was not new for anyone, probably. But, even in its repetitiveness, let us not forget these annual reminders. Today, on Palm Sunday, let us be reminded that we can misunderstand King Jesus. And as we go into Holy Week, let's cut those misunderstandings out. Let's be reminded that Jesus was humble. and Let's begin to follow that example of King Jesus in our lives as we seek to become just like him. And lastly, let us be comforted with the fact that King Jesus is our King of Peace. Heavenly Father, we love you. And God, there are so many ironies, there are so many paradoxes of Jesus. He's the King of the world, yet he gives away his life. He's the King of the world, yet he serves us. The king of the world, yet does the work of a slave. And God, you are so worthy of every ounce of our worship today. Because without you, we would be far from you. We wouldn't have a shot. We would stand condemned. We would deserve eternal death. And so, God, we thank you for sending your son Jesus to be that humble king. For being that righteous king that we aren't. And for being that victorious king that we must rely on as we look towards Holy Week. And so God, today we give you our life, we give you our everything, because you alone are good. And so God, uh, this week, would you transform us? As we look towards Holy Week, would you transform our neighbors? We pray that you would use us to reach out to those around us so that they could truly experience you, as the righteous, victorious, and humble King. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray, and together we say, Amen. Thank you, Pastor Greg, for that.